so anyway, he disappears. I don't know whether he's going to survive. The relationship's falling to parts, you know, and I'm like falling to pieces. And then I'm like looking at the other guys going, I've got to pull myself together. So it taught me something. It taught me about compartmentalizing everything and being able to function, even though that your world might be falling apart, being able to take one more step and one more step and keep going and, and pull yourself together so you can get to a point where you can let go. But right now you've got to, you've got wow. to function. And that was a really good lesson to learn looking yeah. back at it. <clears throat> and I've had to use that a number of times in my life. What's up everyone? Welcome to the Life Livers Academy. I'm Jamie O'Donnell and the purpose of this podcast is to connect you with the people, ideas, mindsets and inspiration to empower you to chase your dreams, unlock your potential and live life to the fullest each day. Get ready for some inspiring conversations and incredible insights from people who are out there living life, having fun and dominating their chosen path. I appreciate you tuning in. Now let's get this episode underway. Radio guys, I am super excited to sit down and introduce my guest on the show with me today. Her name is Lisa Tamati, and she is incredible. Uh, this is an episode I'm really looking forward to. Lisa, for those of you that don't know, is an ultra endurance athlete. She's competed in over 140 ultra events around the world. She's a mental toughness coach, mindset coach, entrepreneur, author, professional speaker. She is someone who speaks on the topics of uh, developing mental toughness and resilience, uh, as well as high performance and health and well-being. She has literally competed in all the hardest races on the planet, including Badwater, which is 217 kilometers non-stop through Death Valley in 50-degree heat. Um, you know, people like David Goggins have become famous for competing in that race. Lisa's done it multiple times. Uh, I think in the course over the course of her career, she's run over 70,000 kilometers, which is the equivalent of running three times around the equator. She's uh, crossed the Sahara Desert, the Libyan Desert, the Arabian Desert. She's literally done some of the most challenging races on the planet uh, and so I figure who better to learn mental toughness and mindset uh, and resilience from than Lisa herself so really excited to dive in and have this conversation I think it's very relevant given everything that's going on in the world at the moment so Lisa thank you so much for your time I'm excited to dive in and have this chat. Jamie it's a real honor to be on your show thank you for having me I'm really excited to start and share some cool stories today and some insights with each other. Fantastic hey it's funny because over the last couple of days, I, I mean, I've followed your journey for a while now anyway. Um, I, and over the last couple of days, I sort of dived in and did a bit more research and, you know, dug a bit deeper just to make sure that I was across yeah, things so I could ask the right questions and make this a good interview. But man, researching you is difficult because the, you've done so much in such a short <laughs> period of time. Like you've, you've, the in, ultra endurance stuff on its own is absolutely incredible. You've, I think you've, was it 140 ultra events that you've competed in, yep. yeah, roughly. Um, yeah. including doing some of the, or the toughest races on the planet. Um, you know, bad water, which is I think 217 kilometers nonstop in the desert, which was about 50 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> um, plus, you know, you've done all these cycling around the world. You've like, and then you've been in all sorts of different business environments. You've like, there's so much to your story. To anyone who's not familiar, can you just, I guess, give a snapshot or a bit of context um, before we dive into and start asking questions to, I guess, how you got into endurance and a bit of your backstory? 
Yeah, thanks, Jamie. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really, just says you know that I've done all that. It just means I'm quite old, really. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got ADHD probably, and just like trying every lots of new things. Um, so yeah, I have a you know really uh, outdoorsy sort of childhood and and into sport and and uh, grew up in a family where it was sport and mental toughness and physical toughness were what was expected, and and that was a good grounding really. Um, and so uh, yeah, later on I. Um, got into adventure, venturing around the world for the want of a better word, climbing mountains, not the real big stuff, but, you know, uh, trekking and kayaking and cycling through lots and lots of countries um, and ended up doing uh, the crossing of a Libyan desert uh, when I was about 27. And this was a, a really big turning point in my life. Um, this was an expedition. So not, I wasn't even a runner at this stage, but I'd done lots of trekking and stuff. And I was with a, uh, an Austrian boyfriend who, shall we say, the relationship had been shit for a long time <laughs> prior to this. And it was a very abusive relationship that, Say, say, say what it is. Um, and this all came to a head in the middle of this uh, expedition across the Libyan desert, which was an illegal crossing, by the way, through a military barred zone. And so it was you're, trying not, you're literally trying not to get shot at and be pulled out by the military <laughs> while crossing a desert. How on earth do you get yourself yeah. in that situation? <laughs> yeah, exactly. With a, with a boyfriend who, you know, was really not nice. Um, and we had, uh, there was four of us in this expedition and this was, we only had uh, two litres of water a day because we could only carry that much. So we had backpacks. Mine was 35 kilos, uh, you know, the, the boys had 40, 45 kilo backpacks. So we, we had 20 litres of water each, enough for 10 days for an emergency. We hoped to be through in seven or eight, but we had to sort of ration to two litres of water a day. And we had to sort of cover like 40, 45 kilometres with these backpacks, you know, and like I'm, I was like 59 kilos or something. So that was like you know, a hell of a lot of weight to carry. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, this was a real big turning point in my life. And up to that point, you know, I'd, I'd learned a lot about, you know, pushing your body really hard, but this was sort of next level up. And in the middle of this crossing, so we're really dehydrated, massively, you know, high temperatures during the day, massive weight on your backpack. You've got, um, you've had to disappear into this really amazing desert, but yeah, it was all uh, a very dodgy part of the world, if you like. Um, and, but try to cross this most pristine, amazing place. But the dehydration was something else and mm. it made you very short tempered with each other and so on. And, uh, um, the, Not the, good for relationships. No, no. And the boyfriend was, we were trying to do a book at this stage. And so he was a photographer and he was trying to set up shots and he wanted me to help him. And long story short, I couldn't, I was physically at the, the end of my abilities just to move forward and trying to keep up because the, the leader of the expedition, his name was Elvis and that was his real name. And, uh, he was a Yugoslavian survival expert dude who'd been in this part of the world 20 years earlier and had uh, wanted to cross the entire thing. And so we were sort of with him doing that. Um, and he was like, no, we can't stop for photos. We've got to keep moving because we, you know, so if you want to take photos, you have to keep up. And he was like, well, sh I want you to help me. And I was like, well, I can't help you, you know. So it was this uh, dynamic. And to be fair, we were all, you know, suffering something insane when you don't have enough water. It's the most horrible thing on earth really and so on day four this all erupted into a big domestic and he said right that's it I'm leaving you 
um, the end of a five-year relationship, and he disappears the over the yeah, and he disappears oh, over the stand <laughs> Actually, <laughs> like, that, that's actually like that's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, it's a funny story, really, but you know, it wasn't at the time. Funny now, I was about to say, at the time when you're already exhausted, dehydrated, in the middle of a desert, and then your boyfriend yeah. walked, so you just literally walked away. Or yep. how does yep. that work? He, yeah, he just packed his bags and said, "Right, I'm out of here." So he left me with the other two guys. So he didn't, you know, not not that level of asshole, but nearly. But he's gone and, off on his own at that point. Or? Yes, and I was like, "Well, I don't know if he'd survive because this was really dangerous." Like, yeah. you know, we were dehydrated to the max, and with he gonna, you know, you twist your ankle and that's it. Yeah, it, there's no coming back out there in the middle of Sahara. So anyway, he disappears. I don't know whether he's going to survive. The relationship's falling to parts you know and i'm like falling to pieces and then i'm like looking at the other guys going i've got to pull myself together so it taught me something it taught me about compartmentalizing everything and being able to function even though that your world might be falling apart being able to take one more step and one more step and keep going and, and pull yourself together so you can get to a point where you can let go but right now you gotta you gotta wow. function and that was a really good lesson to learn looking yeah. back at it <clears throat> and i've had to use that a number of times in my life but so long story short, that we, we managed to, to cross that desert. It took us seven days. Um, yeah, I did some major damage to my kidneys and, um, you know, I had no feeling in the, uh, the nerves in my, my shoulders and my back and I ended up with a scoliosis from the weight. And, you know, it, was, it took me a couple of years to recover physically. But it and the relationship, you know, went through ups and downs after that, but it did peter out and that was the, the end of that, thank goodness. But it was a really deep, the deepest, darkest time of my life to that point. And it was a turning point where I'd be like, this, I've got to change. Something's got to change. And, right. I, and I had absolutely no self-esteem. I had no self-confidence. So I, I thought I was useless because I've been told that for every day for five years, how useless I was. And so I believed that shit. Um, and... A couple of years after that and recovering and so on, I was reading in the magazine about this race across the Moroccan Sahara called the Marathon de Sables, and this is an ultramarathon. It was a famous ultramarathon, still is. And I was, and they were touting it as the toughest race on earth at that point, and I was like, hmm, 240Ks, you've got to carry your food and your backpack, but you get your water given to you. You've got you know, doctors, medical crews, you've got you know, journalists and the, you know, 700 runners. I reckon I could do this, you know, and I had never run a marathon or anything, but I reckon I, I was like, oh, I reckon I could do that because I've done the, the Libyan one and that was a heck of a lot harder than that. So I'm going to have a crack at this, you know, just that little voice inside your head that goes, huh, maybe you're, you know, not as bad as you've been told. <laughs> and so I trained up for this thing and managed to get sponsors and did it and just, it was life changing. It was such an amazing experience. Um, the people that I was surrounded by, all positive, amazing people, all this really tough race, really hard out, yeah. but it, it was nothing on that level, you know, and I did really well. You know, I came in the, I, at one stage I was in the top five and then I was in the top 10 and the, and the woman and I was like, wow, I'm not that bad, you know, um, and I finished that race and it was just like, oh, I want to do more of this, you know, like bring it on. This is amazing. And it made me feel good about myself. It gave me some self-esteem and it really it made me realize that I wasn't as bad as what I thought I was at, at things, you know, and I wasn't, you know, I've never been a, a, a talented runner, 
but what I had was an ability to go long and go hard and go to the point of, you yeah. know, when you've done that, you must, you must, the sense of accomplishment when you finish that. Like, I mean, you talk about self, I truly believe that self-confidence comes from doing hard shit and overcoming yeah. it. And, yeah. and then you get, every time that you do something hard, whether it's running 200, not 200 odd K in the desert or, you know, having a hard gym session or whatever it is, I genuinely feel like the more of that stress you put yourself under, you can look back on that and that's where confidence comes from because you know that you're capable of getting through tough times. You know that you're capable of doing stuff that other people can't do and that builds your self-esteem. But to finish a race like that when you've never run a marathon before (laughs) to go straight to that and then do well in it, you must have felt fucking incredible at the end of that. I did. I just absolutely loved it. And I was surrounded by amazing people and I'd been around so much negativity that this was like, wow, I just sucked it all up. the environment was awesome, man awesome environment and then it was like oh i've got some new friends and and they're all into this and then it's like well bring it on let's go to the next one let's go to the next one and then of course it got out of control a little bit because it was just like one after the other other. and then you know and then i had some failures some ones where i crapped out and you know you're learning and you're pushing the boundaries of what's possible and you have no idea back this like we're talking what are we now 20 25 years ago so we had no idea of anything you know like we didn't have, barely have salt tablets, you know. We didn't have yeah, electrolytes. You couldn't, we, you couldn't Google the programs and, and no. get the best information from the best people in the world like you can today. No, you can't. You couldn't. You just you just put one foot in front of the other. And I did all the training wrong, and I did it. You know, I did everything wrong looking back at it. But man, I had some adventures and some crazy times and some big successes and some huge failures. Um, and but it, it, all through that, you grow, you grow, you grow, you get stronger, you develop more, you know, get more experience, more wisdom, you know, um, get sat on your ass a few times. But you know, it's been a, it's been a, um, it's been an interesting journey. You know, I certainly smashed the, the hell out of my body. No, no, yeah. about that. It's not always healthy <laughs> yeah. doing this sort of stuff, but it's uh, certainly been an interesting journey. Yeah. It's not, it's not your typical path. Like it, it's, no. um, <laughs> it's not every day you chat to someone who's gone out and done those types of things. How far, how deep do you go in those races? Because I've never run it. I mean, I've done a bit of boxing and like, I, I mean, I've always been yeah, in good, in good shape. and yeah. I, I like training and I like push. I love pushing myself out. I train for mental more than yep. physical and I always yeah. have. Yeah. But how deep do you go in those races? Because I, I, I read David Goggins book and I've followed a bit of mm-hmm. his stuff. Um, and you know, he always says that he's when you, mad. he's mad, he's <laughs> mad, but it, it, there's something inspiring about it. I don't know if I'd take all of his advice, but, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I love the thing that he says where, you know, when you think you're done, you've still got 60% left. Yeah. Yeah. And I really, I really, I really think that that's true what's your experience of that in terms of being in those races and you know, I don't know, you get to 150 K and you've got, I'm assuming you've got nothing Absolutely. in the tank. Yep. How deep do you go? And like, what's it like when you, I guess you, when you realize how much more you're actually capable of physically, mentally in that situation, because that must just open up all these possibilities for everything else in your life as well. Yeah, it does. And yeah, I've met David Groggins and Badwater and stuff and he's, uh, I remember fangirling a little bit and getting a photo with him because he's such a dude. <laughs> but yeah, I wouldn't take all his advice actually, to be fair. <laughs> As I've got older and wiser, I don't think that approach is always the right one, but he's certainly a hard ass and an amazing human being that that's incredible. Um, yeah. You, 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 uh, when you think it's all over, yeah, he's, he's damn well right on that respect. You haven't even begun 
um, and there is there is a lot more. You might have to slow down. You know, you might have heard the saying, "If you can't run, walk. If you can't walk, crawl." But just keep moving forward, and that's pretty. That is pretty much how it is. You you all when you you know you start at the race and you go like, "Oh, I'm going to do it in this time, and I'm going to beat so and so, and I'm and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that." And then reality hits a few k's in or a hundred k's in somewhere it'll hit, and you're like now it's just about survival now yeah. it's just like can i get to the end of you know this race or or sometimes can i make it to the next lamppost you yeah. know um and what i find is is when when i've been in really dire straits as far as fatigue and exhaustion and and pain and suffering and you're in the hurt locker something crazy is you need to understand where your motivation is what is your why like before you go into this, why the hell are you doing it? And at the beginning, you know, like doing that very first one, I wanted to prove to that ex that I wasn't useless. That was, if I look back at it, that was the motivating factor. So there was no way in hell I was ever going to break because yeah, right. it was like, I'm not going to let that bugger be right that I'm useless. Yeah. So, so that's a, and it's a negative motivating factor, but it's still a very powerful one. You know, yeah, well, that's I was about to say. Something. There's huge power in in all the bad experiences, and you know, having a chip on your shoulder is not necessarily a bad thing, provided not, you know how to not. use it. You know, exactly. And I and I actually find that as being one of the most powerful things to actually helping people achieve. And then once they have achieved some things, their motivation can change, and it mm. can become from a different direction, a more positive direction, perhaps. Um, Do you feel it, like there's more power in that? Because I feel like we're talk, the topic of why is mm -hmm. often fluffy. Yeah, it's like people like find your why, and yes. it's like oh, I'm, oh, I want to do this, and it's because of this, and and it's like it doesn't really have strength and meaning to it. But when it when it's something real, like I fucking that, like yeah. I want to prove that person wrong. Now, some people might look at that and go, "That's not a good motivator," but it is motivating. It is. It it's is. Like that shit's more motivating. It's like when you're in a fight, or I'm I'm going to refer to boxing and sparring mm -hmm. or something like that. But like when you feel like you got nothing left in the tank, and like you do draw on shit like that it's often not positive fluffy stuff it's like anger exactly <laughs> you know and the so, deepest emotions yeah you know, exactly. whether that's the deepest emotions can be love can be motivated by deep love for your kids or something like that or or your parents or your or something or it can be that you want to show somebody that they were wrong and mm. and that has that has pulled me through many times in life because that anger and that hurt and that things, it's channeling it into a way. And when you do overcome, it changes your perception of who you are and what you are capable of. And therein lies the value. There is absolutely no value, to be honest, about running across Death Valley or running across the Sahara from in, its, in and of itself. Mm. It's a man-made construct. Climbing Mount Everest is, is, is a man-made construct. Like, you know, what is the point? You know, you know it's the Nepalese people, they're like, why would you want to, you know, <laughs> because they don't have that. Oh, we've got to conquer something. We've got to be. So in and of itself, it's, it's not, um, you know, especially amazing, but the journey that you go on on the inside now therein is the value and there, there is something that you can take away for the rest of your life. So when people say to me, it's pointless, what are you doing it for? Or why, you know, my favorite one is why would you put yourself through that? why would you go through that suffering? I don't get it. And it's usually people who have, who don't understand that everything in life, strength comes from struggle. Totally. If you do some weight training, 
and you break down muscle tissue, what does the body do? It's a hermetic stress and it will come back stronger. And that's how you get stronger. And that's the same principle, whether you're weight training, whether you're boxing, whether you're doing sport or whether you're just going through crap in life. The more stuff you go through, it will cause change and change to be stronger. Unless you do too much and then it can break you. So you have to find that, 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 that point, you know, Uh, and, and going back to a question that you asked earlier, which was, you know, how, how does it feel to be able to push through? You don't know what you're capable of. And sometimes I've pushed myself to a point of nearly dying and that's stupid, Mm. you know, for, for a race. Yeah. If it's to save someone's life then go for it, you know, there's a reason if you're, if you're doing something, but sometimes I have taken it to a point of almost no return and for what, you know, so. In those those moments, were you still trying to prove yourself, do you think, to other people or what? Yeah, and and because you're so focused on a a goal. um, So I remember like in in Death Valley, I had a friend of mine that came with me the second time I did that one. She was a paramedic and and it was her job and she was a hard ass. She was tough. She she was an ultramarathoner as well. And I, I said to her, if you pull me out, I know I'm in, I'm in shit street. So I trust <laughs> you to tell me when to stop, you know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust my mummy to tell me when to stop because my mum will tell me to stop way earlier, if that makes yeah, sense. Totally. Yeah? But if someone, if she is, a, is a, someone who's got some medical training, who is an ultramarathon runner, who knows the signs of things when you're pushing too hard, yep. tells me to stop, then it's time to pull out. Yeah. You know, so there is, there does come a point, unless you're in an actual life and death, you know, war situation or something, then it's not really worth going to that degree because you can push things too hard. Oh, and totally. in sport, you can overtrain, you know, if you, if you take it down to a level lower than that, you can overtrain and then you'll actually not get the benefits. You'll actually just hurt yourself. So totally. Um, it's really, there's, there's a real good crossover there to just life in general though, because I feel like a lot of the time when people are like get a little bit of stress in their lives, like a lot of people have never put themselves under enough stress to be able to deal with that. And so on a physical level yet, you're like, obviously there's a balancing act there, but the more resistance that you face, the stronger you get. And it's the same on a mental and emotional level as well. Like the, you know, entrepreneurship. And by the time when you think back to the first business that you started or something like that, like the smallest little problem that threw you off. Now you don't even bat an eyelid at. And it's that, it's that same thing that I think that Goggins rule applies not just to the physical, but just to life in general. When you think you've got nothing left, you've actually not even scratched the surface and you're fucking way stronger than you know. And it's not until you find yourself in a situation of tragedy or something where you've got no choice, but to step the fuck up that you realize what you're made of. But most of the time I feel like the general population is trying to avoid that hardship in those situations. Right to always be comfortable, you know, like, um, it brings us to a really cool story about my mum. Like, um, you know, she had a a massive aneurysm and, you know, I can tell that whole story, but I wanted to bring up one point. She had a massive aneurysm. She was left with massive brain damage and to the point of them saying she'll never do anything again. She, you know, put her into a home, a hospital level care facility. She's 24 seven around the clock care, make her comfortable and she won't be with us long. Well, I, it, it, apart from the whole medical side, I completely agree with make her comfortable. We don't need to be comfortable. 
We need challenge and we, we need challenge and goals, whether we are five years old or 105 years old. 100%. When you take from an elderly person their goal away, their drive, their passion, they will die really, you know, quickly and they'll be miserable. 100%. If you give them, like when I ran through New Zealand, um, I did this thing. I was running through New Zealand for charity, you know, running 2,250 Ks in 42 days and I had a, it was a big one. Just casually. Um, <laughs> it wasn't casually, it was pretty <laughs> But uh, I want to get to the point in the story here. Um, I was doing this thing called a K a day challenge. So I had all these schools raising money for charities and the kids had to go and run at least one kilometer a day, okay, while I was running and followed my progress. But I had a couple of rest homes come along and do the same thing. And they had different challenges. So um, a couple of the rest home, um, the amazing the, um, caregivers and so on had come up and said to these people, we want you to take on this challenge while Lisa's doing this. We'll follow her online and we'll, we, you all have to do a challenge. Now they're all at varying abilities. Obviously we had a 90 something year old whose goal was to go along back in, a couple of times in the corridor on the, on the bars, you know, um, and to walk and he had to do that every day. Another one who was in a wheelchair had lost legs and he could only uh, move one arm so he went, had to go round and round in his electric wheelchair so many times a day but he had a goal he had a focus another one who had multiple sclerosis she was only in her 40s and she had ter terribly bad multiple sclerosis and she hadn't been outside the institution for five years so her goal was to come and meet me when I got to the airport and to come in with me and to be pushed wow. in the wheelchair um, so you know a big challenge to leave her safe environment um, other ones that had to walk so far every day and so on. And these are incredible stories. This really, really touched me because um, they came out and they greeted me as I came into New Plymouth and they were, you know, raised some money and they did all this. And the, the caregivers said to me afterwards was like, I've never seen them so happy. I've never seen yeah. people like take on a challenge and have something to live for. Totally. I mean, they've done studies on this with old people. You give them a plant yeah, to, to look, look after, after and yeah. care for, and they've proven that they are happier and they have more fulfillment and they have more. Like when you make people comfortable, comfortable is death. Comfortable is on the decline. It's it not is. hardly helping anybody. The, the, based on the latest studies into high performance and human happiness, challenge is one of the main critical factors in human happiness. Like yeah. it's one of the contributing factors. Challenge, novelty, creative expression, social interaction, they were four of the key dry or fundamentals for human wow. happiness. And if you think about the average person's life uh, who goes and works a corporate job, or, and that's not a crack at anyone who's working a nine to five because some people oh. love their job, but if you look at the average person, if you think about challenge, most people probably don't have it. It's certainly not built into their day-to-day. -day. Novelty, new and novel experiences are often missing. Like we don't get out and try new stuff often enough. Mm. Uh, creative expression. I mean, we typically go to work, do our stuff. We don't creatively express ourselves anywhere near as much as we should. And social interaction in today's age is quite different to how it was. We don't get out around our friends and, and in that environment enough. And so if you think about the average person, those four things, if they are the four fundamental drivers for human happiness, a huge percentage of the population don't have those in their day-to-day -day life. Yeah, wow. That, and, that, and that, yeah, and the disconnect from 
from nature and our whole circadian rhythms and we could go down a completely different path with that. But all of these things are just super important and challenge. And that's, yeah, that's reminded me, I've got to get my artwork out and start doing some painting or something. Yeah. I've got my, I've got my guitar sitting in the corner here. I literally exactly. had that thought this week and I put it in here. I'm like, whenever I'm, I need to put it in my office so that I just play it. Exactly. Going, going back to the mental toughness stuff just for a minute. What it's all good and well to talk about, and people probably look at you and they go, "Oh yeah, well, she's obviously just mentally tough. Like she runs these crazy races, and she's not like me." Mm. I've heard you say well, that that's that's not the case, um, and that you're, anyone can access that and anyone can do that type of thing if they want to. But if we're looking at building mental toughness, because I think the world as we know it is um, more unstable than we've ever faced before. There's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, People are struggling with mental health and and there's just a lot of stuff going on. And so now is a time where mental toughness is very relevant based on your experience. uh, What, and obviously you coach in this area as well, but what are some of the ways that we can build resilience and mental toughness? I think, so that's a big question because there's there's so many areas that we could go down there. Um, I think, it's taking little tiny steps every day that push you outside of your comfort zone is one thing, you know, like I want to start doing some artwork, you know, like, so I'm going to start off just doing a simple little drawing, you know, like I've just got to take that first step towards that bigger goal. And, and, you know, um, the reason I want to do that is my dad was a top artist and he, he passed away recently and, I want to be able to paint like that now that he's gone, you know, and that's, so that's a big ass goal, right? Cause he was a top <laughs> artist and I'm like here and I can't even draw a stick figure at the moment. But if I look at the big goal, uh, I will just overwhelm myself. Yeah. If I look at the, the first step in the process, then I can take some action steps today that mm. will help me towards that goal. And yes, I have that big goal in the back of my head, but all I got to do today is this. Mm-hmm. And that's what you like pulling in your focus, going back to that run through New Zealand. And I, and I had a meltdown at the very start of that race before I'd even uh, run. I was standing at the start line and I, I, I was just suddenly, you know, I've been so busy with the organization that I had not actually thought about running that distance. If that is as stupid as it sounds, no, you know, I was standing at the start line and I was just like, holy shit. I've got to run 2,000 kilometers. <laughs> oh my God. And I had a panic attack, like a full on, there's an elephant on my chest panic attack. And I went over to my mom and I was bawling my eyes out and I'm like, mom, I can't do this. What the hell was I thinking? And oh my gosh, you know, and she just like grabbed me, shook me and, and gave me a big tight hug. And she said, you don't have to run 2,250 today or right now. You have to run to that letterbox up there. Wow. You have to get through the first half to now. We've got to get out of the gates. That's all you've got to focus on right now in this moment as you're panicking. Stop panicking. Start thinking about running to that power pole. Amazing advice. Wow. Yeah, like break it down into tiny little steps so that you can cope with the next thing you have to do because we we are overwhelmed with the sometimes the, the size of the goal that we have and when mm. we have that big we think we're never going to get there and and when you're in the middle of it you'll think you're never going to get there but if you just keep breaking it down keep your focus in tight that's one way that we can achieve massive things and then turn around and go wow 
look yeah. what I just did, you know? Yeah, that's really good because I, I, I think a lot of the narrative out there is to dream big and think big and all of this stuff. But yeah. at the same time, I feel like that paralyzes more people than yep. actually empowers them. And oh, there's, yeah. pow- there's power in thinking small, which is what you're just saying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have your big goal, but break that down into the tiny bit, the next step, the next step, the next step, so that you, you do have it, you do need a map to know, you know, where, where trying to get this to. road yeah. is going. And it might zigzag and it might change. That goal might change while you're underway. But you've got to think about, well, but how is it that I get there and how do I not overwhelm myself with the big task at hand but just break it into tiny little pieces because yeah. then you can achieve. And I think when you uh, – another thing is is – the incessant noise that we have in our heads, right? The, 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 the negative talk, the, the programming that we have. We all have this subconscious programming that was downloaded pretty much in our early childhood, maybe up to the, they say, up to the age of six or seven. We download all this programming from our environment, our, our family, our community, our culture, and that becomes the sort of, how we think and how we frame everything. But we downloaded that information into our brains, if you like, without a filter, without the intelligence that we have now as adults. So we can't, we couldn't filter what we put in. So stuff was put in that really shouldn't be there. You know, the time when your dad told you you were useless at this or the, the time when your teacher said you were thick as bricks or or the, the stuff that is absolutely no relevance to who you are today but is still your default way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And so this, this uh, subconscious programming that we have, we, we, can, we have a consciousness and a subconscious, and the subconscious is 95%, they say, or more of our actual thoughts and, our, and the way we are operating, mm-hmm. and only 5% or so is consciously what we are consciously doing, and therein lies a massive key, because if you think about it, anything that I want to consciously do, I go and read a book on self-improvement or I listen to a podcast and I'm like, right, I'm going to do that. And we set off to do that. And then our subconscious program comes in and goes, yeah, but, yeah, but yeah, you can't do that. But who do you think you are or whatever the program is that you've been running and you're not even aware of it. So start to listen to that voice, start to start starting to recognize that subconscious voice. That's that tape recorder that's playing like a, it's not a, it's not even thinking. It's just playing in the, in the background and it's undermining your conscious thought. It's like David and Goliath. And so what are the ways that we can start to reprogram our subconscious? How can I slowly start to break down some of those things? And that's a, you know, a big conversation, but doing things like um, self-hypnosis or actual hypnosis or, um, constant little things every day where you develop habits Mm. so when you like uh, i'll give you an example uh was it a year ago i started i wanted to have this really horrible smoothie for breakfast you know which was full of really good stuff you know like uh, half a lemon and a whole lot of spinach and some celery and a whole lot of uh, maca powder and chia seeds and gross right (laughs) and I'm like I gotta do this so all right I start off and on day one it's like oh I don't want to do it 
and you overcome yourself with a certain amount of willpower. You have willpower and that will last maybe one, two weeks if you're lucky. But it can last long enough to start developing a groove in your brain Mm. that it becomes a habit. And once something becomes a habit, it gets easier and easier and then it becomes the default thing that you do without even thinking. Totally. And then it becomes easy. So we don't need to rely on willpower forever. We just need to rely on willpower to get us started and to start doing those little things and then not take on too much change at once. Mm -hmm. Because if you try and like, all right, I'm going to drink that smoothie and then I'm going to go for a run and then I'm going to do a gym and then I'm going to do this, this and this and I'm going to live the perfect life or then you're going to fall to pieces in the day one. You know, so so little increments. If it's yeah, right, I love this, it. this week I'm going to do one positive thing. Is going I'm going to um, not drink wine this week or whatever it is, yeah. And you make it that single. That's your single focus. A small thing that you are changing, and 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 you stick to that for that week, and that empowers you, makes you stronger, and you create these grooves in your brain. The more times that you do something the more automatic it becomes, the more it becomes part of your new subconscious programming. Yeah. Uh, and this is where this can be really, really powerful. For and so what, what about on the self-talk side of that? Because you mentioned earlier the negative self-talk and that you had awful self-talk, particularly in your younger days. Yeah. Um, that's the same kind of thing as well, because like there's the physical habits of what we're actually doing, but then it's about creating mental habits as well and triggers for positive like telling ourselves positive stuff. So my partner works in the, well, we both have run a business in the health and fitness space. Um, we get people to write down the five key daily rituals. And so the whole program that we do is like everyone's overwhelmed. So we strip it back to five key daily rituals, which is the small little things you've got to do every day. Mm-hmm. Drink three liters of water, eat off your yeah. meal plan, move your body, uh, you know, et cetera, green smoothie. Uh, but, <laughs> but at the same time, it's just about getting people to a first be aware of some of the thoughts that are running and then creating triggers like, you know, things like when you walk through a doorway or when you stand in a line or things that you do a lot of the times of the day, trying to associate positive reinforcement with those. Brilliant. Yeah, and we yeah. try and get people doing that. Mm-hmm. Have you got like, can you talk to them, the self-talk side of it? Because I, I believe that that is probably the biggest thing that holds people back. People's, yeah. people's self-talk is a lot of the time really poor yeah. and a lot of the time is it's obviously in that subconscious and we're just not even aware of the dialogue that we're running. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, I mean, that is pretty much what I was talking about is that, 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 that record that keeps playing. You're mm-hmm. useless. You're hopeless. Well, why do you, you, you're, you're fat, you're ugly, you're, you're useless. You're not going to achieve all of that sort of stuff that's going on. And, and um, being able to just, um, I'm reading an Eckhart Tolle book um, at the moment, which is like, oh, yeah, that is so good. He puts it so well. You know, like observing your thoughts as, as, a, as a sort of a higher entity, if you like. Yeah. If you can start to look at your own thought processes and, and what you're saying to yourself and, what's, and then just go, oh, hang on a minute. Uh, I'm doing that again. And just observe yourself as you're doing it. And then you start to realize, huh, Mm-hmm. Okay, this is, and, and he says it's not you. It's not you, that's your, that's your programming, that's the incessant voice, it's who you think you are, but that is not you. And if you can start to, to pull yourself away from that objectively and start looking at that chatter that's going on in your head. And, I mean, the other thing is, like, nobody is perfect. I'm sure you, Jamie, as someone who teaches this stuff, is certainly me as a mental toughness coach, I am not 24-7 hours oh, shit, no. days a week tough. 
I am not perfect. I am not like going around like all of, you know, fluffy birds and butterflies. I Absolutely am not. not. No. Yeah. And, and there are times when you just, but the thing that I think that, that, that differentiates us is that we have a shit time. We have a big, you know, negative half an hour or something, but then we pull our shit together and we get up again. Totally. And we get up again and we get up again and we try again and next day we try it better. And it's that ability to not um, go, oh, well, this positive thinking isn't, isn't working for me and I'm, that's it, I'm going to stop it. You know, It's like understanding you are human, this is the way our brains work and we're still working out how our brains work and it's okay to fail and it's okay to mess up and it's okay just, you know, and it's the same with your diet and it's the same with your exercise. You, you ate that whole king-size block of chocolate today. Oh, shit. Okay. Well, instead of um, terrorizing myself about it and getting down on myself, which is going to make me want to eat that whole liter of ice cream as well, um, <laughs> then it might be better to go, well, okay, I, I screwed up there. What can I do now? Oh, maybe I'm going to go for a walk or maybe I'm going to go mm. for a run or maybe I'm just going to, tomorrow I'm going to make sure I don't have it in the house or just something instead of beating yourself up every time you fail because you are going to fall off the bandwagon. I yep. can guarantee you that right now. And there are going to be times when you've got negative thoughts going in your head. Um, uh, you know, and there are going to be things that come at you that you think you can't handle. 100%. And I've, I've been through some heavy shit lately in the last few years of my life. And there are times when I have, despite being a mental toughness coach, when I've been sat on my ass, just bawling my eyes out and going, I don't know how to get up from this one. Yeah. You know, um, and, and, and working it out along the way, but keeping open and, and being kind to yourself as well when you do have those moments and just going, okay, this is a biggie, this is a hard one, um, and, and just giving yourself a little bit of time to be, you do need to let your emotions out. What I don't people, I don't want people to think, you know, you have to go around as like a box of fluffy birds and everything's positive thinking and all of that. You have to let the emotions out as well. Mm. You know, I, I think, you know, like I said, my, my dad passed recently and um, I, you know, will have moments where I'm just, all my eyes out and I'm you know I don't care where I am what I'm what's happening and I let that I, I have to let that feeling out because yeah. if I don't I'll bottle it up then it's going to turn on myself and then I probably get sick or I'll get you know totally. something 100 you know? so we do need to let our emotions out yeah, well. exactly and, and that does that's not a sign of weakness like emotion an emotion is just an emotion we've labeled them good or bad like yes. that that's the reality of it. And so we have got into this false narrative where we think that positivity is the right emotion and sadness is the wrong emotion, which is utter bullshit. Yes. They're, all, they're all just emotions. And like you say, caging them up and bottling them up. And I'm speaking from personal experience with family members and stuff here who have been through, you know, chronic illness and stuff who are like, I think yeah. that, that originated from like emotional stuff. That's, yeah. you know, and, and that's not necessarily a mainstream thing to say, but it's fucking... Well, that's proven that It's shit. true, yeah, totally. <laughs> but we, we kind of live in a, a world where we're almost encouraged to squash that stuff down. But tough toughness is actually dealing with that. Yes, and facing it. Um, I was talking to a good friend uh, the other day who has been through a lot of grief and, and you know, I was um, sharing my grief right now and, and, and asking for advice. Like, how do I deal with this? And he... And he said to me, 
you know, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm fearful of this, I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with that. And he said, face it head on, feel it, walk into it, accept it, uh, go with it. You know, don't keep fighting it and just, well, because sometimes, sometimes you need to, like um, if you're, you're functioning, you're driving the car or something, you sometimes yeah, yeah. have to distract yourself, yeah, because you don't want to be crying while you're driving the car or, or something like that or you're in a business meeting or whatever. But just distracting yourself all the time and not actually looking at it and absolutely letting all the shit out and leaving the emotion out, um, will do you no favours. And there is lots and lots of studies, I can't quote you one right now, but around what happens when you suppress and when you, these stress hormones that we produce, the, you know, the adrenaline, the cortisol, all these things, they need their outlet. And if they don't, if you just keep bottling up the stress and that starts to build inside, that will take energy away from your immune mm -hmm. system. That yep. will take energy away from your rest and digestion yep. system. It will take energy away from all of these other things that need it. So if by letting it out, having a big cry, having a big, oh, you know, or if you're angry, I go for a run or something and I let that cortisol out and I, you know, I'll do a hundred press ups or something like that. And by the time you're, you're so exhausted, the anger's out, you know? Yeah. So there are, these are coping mechanisms so that we can cope and function in society but at the same time not bottling it up and you know i think this is especially important for men to hear because obviously women um uh it's not it's not so frowned upon when we ball our eyes out well you're a girl you know you're allowed to sort of thing but gosh i think you know it's so important that men learn to do this because a lot of them have lost the ability to do that they don't know how to cry. They don't know how to let the shit out, except in a negative, self-destructive totally. manner sometimes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, yeah, being real to yourself. And totally. Life isn't, a, you know, fluffy, fluffy ducks. No, and, and there's an awareness piece in there as well. I think, like, when you're aware of the emotion, because if it just happens and you have no control over it, then it's, like, it's hard. But when you have the emotion and you are self-aware enough to, to come up here yeah. and, and get above yourself and look at it and see what it's doing, then it's yeah. easier to process it. One question I had for you is because I know that you've talked, I've heard you talk about meditation before and how you've never been able to meditate and you can't sit still for five minutes and stuff. <laughs> just thinking about Which those. I need it more. <laughs> yeah. Just thinking about those negative emotions and that self-awareness piece though. How big a part of running for you is getting that self-awareness because i know that if i like go for a, if i'm having a shit time and i go for a run or go for a workout or something it is meditative like it's almost like i enter a meditative state uh and yeah. often i personally hate running like it's not something yeah. i enjoy but i kind of force myself to do it a few times a week go for a run um because of it. it's a good mental battle but i also have my best ideas and my most clarity of thought often when i'm on a run so how big a part of coping and dealing and getting that awareness is running for you? Oh, running was huge. It was a huge way of, um, of letting out all the emotions. And, and, you know, when I say, you know, like uh, with meditation, I think it's super important to be able to meditate, but meditation can, in my opinion, also be an act of meditation because I, you know, I think mm. I have a lot of theta waves in my brain. I need to be in movement uh, so sitting and, you know, cross-legged on the floor and thing that, that is good. And that, that I should get to that level more, but being in movement and doing something repetitive 
active, when my body is actually in action, that's when my brain can empty and I can I can enter more of a meditative state. I find it easier to get into a meditative state when I'm doing something like running. Yeah. Um, and that uh, it doesn't stay there and it doesn't don't get the picture that running is all fun and games. It isn't. Um, <laughs> and usually the first half an hour is absolute crap. <laughs> While your body's warming up and getting used to this and it, it protests loudly. And what most people do is give up before you get to that nice state. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, um, but so uh, I think, you know, quietening the mind down and whether that is through an active meditation like running or just being in nature and, and thinking and or concentrating on your breathing, all of these things um, help you with your self-awareness and to, to being able to, to break that incessant thought, you know, that incessant voice in your head. And that is the power and the point of meditation or one of the points is to, to stop that constant chatter. And um, I think that that's, you know, something I'm still working on um, and I've got a long way to go with that. Um, but it's a really important thing to do that we don't just keep going from one thought to the other and to the mm. other and to the other, that we actually stop and try and work out. And it's hard because we don't like to sit in stillness. No. Here's the crap out of us usually. <laughs> well, we're, we're afraid of facing ourselves a lot of the time. Exactly. Yeah. What am I going to find when I get there? And it can yeah, be and like how, and how inconvenient is the truth going to be? You know, like yeah. <laughs> we're trying to run away from it. It's like, fuck, I'd rather not deal with that a lot of the time. Yeah. 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 And so, you, yeah, again, doing it in small doses until you, you know, you build these sort of things up and being able to look yourself in the mirror. I think, uh, yeah. What, what about on a, on a day to day thing for you? Like from a, you're obviously someone who demands and I, and I know that, um, outside of being an athlete, you probably have a different life, but on a day-to-day basis, you're someone who values high performance and values getting excellence out of yourself and the most yeah. out of yourself and all your endeavors. What's a daily, do you, do you have a, like a routine? Is there certain things that you build into your day outside of physical activity that aid your performance and stuff like that, like breathing techniques and stuff like that? Or yep. do you, are you not someone that does that? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So high performance for me, being able to function at a high level in everything that I do um, is is really important to me. So I'm always looking for the latest tacks and the latest, greatest things to help with my my performance. And I'm getting older, so I want to turn back the aging clock. So that's <laughs> you know, a big focus at the moment, too. Um, so... Uh, a typical, a funny, you know, um, analogy. I can, if if I have time, like, and I have, uh, you know, two companies to run. I look after my mum still every day, especially since my dad passed. You know, even more so. So, family. I'm very, very, very big on family. So they mm. do come first in everything I do. Um, so I build my 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 business and my life around my looking after my family, and. But when I get time, it's things like I'm, I've got a hyperbaric oxygen chamber that I'm in, um, you know, pretty much every second day if I can, if I can get to the sauna, if I, I do my training um, religiously, you know, like yeah. uh, I, it, it changes and I listen to my body and what, and my changing it, my training has changed dramatically over the past few years as I've changed my focus and what's important to me. And I'm no longer doing the, the ultra running because once um, my mum had her aneurysm, I, you know, that, that was the end of long distance running because there was no choice. It was, you know, if, if I wanted to rehabilitate her, I had to give her 
uh, all day, every day, seven yep. days a week, um, and work it from <laughs> nine o'clock till midnight type of thing. Um, so I do a lot of things. I have an ozone um, therapy thing here. I do hyperbaric. I have. Uh, I'm constantly studying the latest biohacking. I have heaps of supplements. So I, you know, do all of those sorts of things to try and give myself the best chance to be as young and as strong and as fit as I possibly can. And then doing the stuff that I want to be doing, you know, mm. whether that's in business high performance. So I'm constantly trying to get the squeeze the most out of my life. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I think I think that's obvious from the outset with all yeah. your everything that you've done. What are some of those key things then? Because I, I mean, I want to just transition a little bit because there's also a lot of you know talking about your running and the mental toughness and all that side of it. There's a lot of power in that for people, and I think particularly now. But you've also faced a lot of hardship uh, yep. on a personal level as well. And yep. um, obviously those two things are tied together. The way that you've been able to, to use that stuff uh, from your running days to, to cope is a big yep. part of it. But there's also you're also an avid student of science and yep. <laughs> um, of health and performance and wellness. And you've got a heap of value to add in that area as well. And so I think it's worth touching on some of the the hardships, you know, particularly around your mum and most recently your father passing as well. But because those stories are quite incredible and although that's come from a rehabilitation, a place of rehabilitation with your mum, there's a shitload of stuff in there for people that is really relevant just yeah. to every day anyway. So oh, can we yeah. can we talk about some of those sort of personal hardships as well, if you don't mind? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So um, I, I'll just give the, the, the listeners a, a brief uh, overview of mum's story. You heard me say she had a massive aneurysm, so four and a half years ago at the age of 74, and they didn't think she'd survive, and there was medical medical misadventures and, and so on. But she did; she pulled through. But when she came through out of the coma after three weeks, she had basically no, hardly any higher function. She had no ability to speak. Had a couple of single words was all she had. She had no um, control over any of her limbs, no control over bodily functions. Um, lights on, nobody home. No idea who I was, what I was, anything like that. Um, and the prognosis was dire. She's 74 years old. She's got massive brain damage. She's never going to do anything again. And being a stubborn as athlete, I'm like, I've been told all my life shit can't happen and I've done it. I'm not going to listen to that because, okay, well, that path leads to certain death, mm. and to certain horrible demise. And I'm going to go and put all my energy into finding people and therapies and research into what can I do positively to impact my mum's life and to give her some quality of life and to get her back. And of course, love is the motivating factor. That's my why. So like, I'm going all in at that time. It was just all in, all hands on deck. I'm a wonderful family. Again, it just backed everything that I did. And I started to study. And I came across, um, for starters, I worked out she had sleep apnea. Um, which in the hospital setting, I wasn't able to get tested because they said, ah, no, she hasn't got that. And if you've had a stroke, often you have uh, sleep apnea things going. So that was a very, very key piece of the puzzle because she was sleeping around 20 hours a day at that time, which means she wasn't getting enough oxygen. Um, And this, um, I'd done a lot of training at altitude and I knew what a lack of oxygen did to the brain and to the body because I'd overdone it myself and so I was seeing some of these things in her and her body 
uh, things like bacteria multiplying um, and doing horrible things. And I was like, hang on a minute, she's not getting oxygen. What, what, why is she not realizing that she had sleep apnea? So that was a key thing. So I got her on a, a sleep apnea ma- machine after a big battle at the hospital. We won't go into that. Um, and then I started thinking, what else can oxygen do? So I came across something called hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Yeah. And this is what they use in dive accidents uh, for divers who've been, you know, way down deep underwater and they come up too fast. And what happens when you are under under the water, the pressure and pressure gets deeper and is, uh, gets more the deeper you go. And it compresses all the gas molecules in the body, right? Uh, what they found is if they, if they put you on oxygen, 100% oxygen, and they take you down in these, conde- in these decompression chambers down to the equivalent of being so far underwater, um, so one and a half atmospheres to three atmospheres usually um, is what they use for a therapeutic dose of this. It hyper-oxygenates the body and it compresses the oxygen molecules and the oxygen then can dissolve into the plasma of the blood and can cross the blood-brain barrier. And so it can get to the damaged brain cells. Now, when it does that, it it can't help the ones that are dead, but what it can do is the ones that are alive but not functioning properly can be brought back online for the want of a better description by the oxygen. Um, And it it attacks inflammation pathways in the body. It, uh, yeah, you get up to 12 times the amount of oxygen, depending on the depth that you go to, and it helps produce new stem cells and it creates neurogenesis and it does all these amazing things. And this is a, a... uh, a therapy with over a hundred years experience that most people don't even know about. And it's really broad spectrum does a lot of things. And I've done a lot of podcast episodes on this. So I came across this and I'm like, right, this is a chance for her brain. I can, you know, it's been beneficial in brain injuries. They use it overseas. They actually use it in Auckland Christchurch hospitals, but they don't use it for brain injury here. They only use it for gangrene and diabetic wounds, uh, crush injuries, burn injuries, and um, cum dioxide poisoning. And, but they don't use it for brain, even though there's tons of research, of research on it. Yeah. Massive amounts. Anyway, so I'm like, right, well, I have to get her this. So then I had to find her access. So I, by the t- I managed to get her out of the hospital eventually after a massive battle and them saying that you're never going to cope with her and 24-7 around the clock, et cetera. And I'm like going, I'm taking her home and you're not freaking putting her in a home and so on. The first day I got her out, I, I found a, a, a dive company that actually had one of these and they let me have access to it. And I signed a medical waiver and I put my mum in these, this hyperbaric chamber, which was a big deal to do. Like, it's difficult. My mum is extremely fragile, right? Everyone thought it was nuts. <laughs> You're putting her into this, like, it looks like a big LPG cylinder. <laughs> and we had to put her on a forklift and stick her in this thing. And anyway... After 33 treatments of this, she started to respond. She started 33 treatments, mind you, five days a week for an hour and a half at a time, massive undertaking. She started to respond. She started to have a couple of words and she was trying to move her hands and she was, I could just see a flicker of intelligence behind her eyes and I'm like, my God, this is working. And then I lost access to the chamber because it had to go off somewhere on a contract. So then I mortgaged the house and I bought a hyperbaric chamber and I installed it in my house. Uh, again, not an easy thing to do. And I started putting her through uh, blocks of treatment after a 
certain protocol that I'd worked out. And then I started to get bits, little bits of her brain started to come back online. And as she started to come back, I'm studying flat tack all this time. So I'm studying everything from diet, functional um, neurology, functional genomics, epigenetics, uh, everything that I possibly could. And I basically developed my own protocols, my own uh, routines and things with her that I did every day. And we sort of had a program about an eight hour a day program of therapy. And like she had massive neural fatigue at the beginning. So at the beginning she could only do something for 10 seconds and then she would lose focus. And, and then we built it up and we built it up and we built her resilience up. And as she started to slowly come back online, but she had no like spatial awareness. So she couldn't even sit by herself without mm. falling over. Um, and I had, so I had to retrain her brain how to sit straight for starters, what was upright uh, and eventually teach her to stand and then eventually teach her to walk with a walker and then uh, um, onto the parallel bars and so on. And it took me a year and a half to get her to take her, her first steps, basically, and get out of slowly out of the wheelchair. Um, and it's been now four years, and it took me three years, basically, to get my mum back to normal. Like, she's... She is 90, I'd say 96% back. She's Crazy. completely, like, completely there intellectually. She is, uh, has her full driver's license. She has a full power of attorney over her life and her, you know, her world again, her finances, um, which she'd lost. I mean, she couldn't do anything for herself back then. And, and you know what? Like, now she's 78 years old, and now we've, we've unfortunately, and I won't go into the story, but we just lost my dad recently, and she's strong, and she's amazing. Like, the resilience, the power that she brings, and the reason I was able to do that with her was, one, yes, I studied for four years, and I went hard out and deep into the science and the latest therapies. I had bloody lasers up her nose and hyperbarics and ozones and <laughs> supplements up the wazoo and a keto diet and you name it, I was doing it. But she allowed me to do it and she brought to the table every day the, the willingness to fight. And yeah. that was the key factor. And yeah. she's still doing it now. And I'm, I'm just in awe She's a quiet, delicate, lovely mummy type person. She's not like me. She's not, you know, like um, this. You had an, an athlete's life or been a hard ass or she's just just this lovely, warm, amazing person. But she's just tough, beyond tough. Like just mentally, the the power that she brings and she's the willingness to do whatever it takes to be yeah. there for her family and that's her motivation. Yeah. Is just is is being a you know, an amazing journey. And now I've got my mum back, you know? Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, there's just so much power in that, in that stuff. But how, one thing that comes through there and, and you off camera beforehand, we spoke about it as well, but it's just that positive energy as well, because yeah. you, her willingness to do and to take action and to trust you and, and, and do all the steps. But you mentioned before with your father as well, you know, not allowing negativity to be around yeah 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 exactly in, in yep. that context and just being like yep. only speaking positive affirmations and only positive outcomes and how much of that did you bring into that journey as well because obviously the hyperbaric oh, chamber massive. and all that but what about on the mental side of that oh yeah that that was the biggest thing because i had i mean i was desperate to get my mum back right so you uh, you know you mobilize everything and there were you know, like I said, there were times when I was absolutely exhausted. I mean, I, I smashed my own health doing this because I was running two companies, 
Um, actually, I started off with five companies back then, and I sold three of them so that I could. You know, <laughs> go. Um, and and so I ran myself into the ground. There's no question about that. But I every day I just brought to the table what was needed to be done, and every day I brought to her, we are coming back. This is what's happening. This is the direction. You are an athlete and we are going in this direction. Okay. Mm-hmm. So she felt like she was an athlete and she felt like she was on the comeback trail, not like an invalid, not like a disabled person, not like someone who was dying. Yeah. And that was absolute key. And I never let anybody who was negative into our environments, you know, yeah. like I just absolutely refused to do that. And when my dad, and unfortunately, we, we lost the battle, and that's a story for another day because it's a big story, and I'm intending to to share that. I'm just gathering my um, resources at the moment because it's still very uh, raw. But when he was in the hospital fighting for his life, anybody who came into that hospital room was told, you bring positive energy in here. You talk to Dad as if he's he's on his way back, and we're fighting, and we've got this Dad, and you cheer positive stuff you know, anecdotes and you, you bring positivity in this room. You don't bring negativity. And one of the issues I had was when, was, you know, the doctors would come in and in a loud voice say, oh, is he still alive? Oh, I thought he'd be dead by now, you know, which is absolutely disgusting in my opinion. Absolutely. Um, but that's a story for another day. Because you just take away anybody, you take away their hope, you take away their ability to fight. And when you give someone like a terminal illness, you've got six months to live. What have you just done to them? Well, if the illness doesn't get them, that's going to get them. 100%. Because you've just told them they're going to die in six months. Yeah. You've and just burst them. Exactly. And, and you said before, you know, that, that just with your mum, you're like, that just led to that outcome. Like if we believe that, then that was guaranteed. Yep. But, but for anyone listening as well, I mean, you might not have a mum who's fighting for her life or you might not be in that situation, but the, the words and the positivity that you give to people, whether it's they, they want to start a business or they've got athletic dreams or they fucking want to go and study and become a doctor or whatever it is. So often without realizing it, people are pushing their negative beliefs onto other people and letting their limiting beliefs limit other people's. Amen to that one. And <laughs> what you're saying is like, you've got an extreme example of it, which is why I wanted to touch on it with your mum, where you've literally used that to help aid her back to a full quality of life. Yep. But fuck, if we can all take that message and be aware of what we're saying to people, just to our friends when they yeah. want to, when they want to do something cool, when they want to stretch themselves rather than being like, should you really do that? Or can you do that? Do you know about the fail rate of that? What about if we all just ditch that shit and we're a bit more positive in our interactions? And if we all did that, how, how much better and further would the people around us go? Wow, Jamie. So that's why you're a bloody good coach. You know, tell <laughs> that already because that's exactly what you have to do as a coach. You have to get alongside people and your friends and your family when they, when they want to take on something crazy, when, a, when a, an athlete comes to me and they're, you know, they're completely unfit and they say, I want to run a marathon, and I go, yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's, this is how we're going to do it. Yeah. This is how long it's going to take. You give them realistic timeframes and you do all that sort of stuff and you give them the programs and stuff. But the biggest thing I can do is I can get alongside them and I can believe in them. Because yeah, when totally. I believe in them, then they will achieve because they, if they have a respect for me as a coach and they believe that I know what I'm doing and they put their belief in me, you watch them go. And it's actually nothing to do with me. That's the secret. 
but they think it is to do with me, but they because, they because they respect me and I say you can do it, then they believe they can do it. And, totally. they're, and that's, they, that's the key because it comes back to that belief action uh, result cycle where like if you have a small amount of belief, you take very little action, you might like dip your toes in yeah. and, and you just test. And then when you dip your toes in, you get a shit result. And then yeah. that reaffirms the fact that you're not going to get it. And that becomes a downward cycle. Whereas yeah. like what you're saying is when you impart that belief on someone else, when someone believes in you, you can't help but have a little bit of self-belief. Yes. And when you, when you have a higher level of self-belief, you take a bigger action and you take a bolder action. And when you take a bolder action, you get a better result. And that becomes an upward cycle. And I just think like we can all, we can all just take a bit of that and go out into your day to day. It doesn't you don't have to be a coach. You don't have to be working with athletes. But like on a day to day basis, what show up with that intention and fuck we could you know we could, we could make some strides forward. Absolutely, <laughs> you know, yeah. That's why we we get along so well because yeah, you're, you're just totally on the same page. We know we know when you 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 have to encourage people when you get these doubters like oh should you really be doing that and I you know. <laughs> You would have had that your whole life. Literally. Yeah, and actually I needed to hear that message today again because I've been getting a lot of that message lately, you know, and the stuff that we talked about in a, in a project that I want to take on. I've been getting a lot of that lately. Should you really be doing it? Shouldn't you let it go? Shouldn't you? Are you sure? And, and actually I needed that message today. Well, you See, so sometimes <laughs> you don't even you don't even see what's in front of you because you're in the middle of something. Yeah. Uh, but I, I need to actually, no, I need to go. When you, when you, if someone like, you know, going back to that, you know, someone says you've got six months to live because you've got cancer or whatever, how, or like mum's the case, um, how are you going to take massive action when you've just taken away someone's hope? That person is never going to mount a, a full attack. They're never going to mobilize everything in their power to make, and it could be against the odds. You know, the the journey I went on with my dad, the the couple of weeks that it was, it was up against the odds, but we were going to go all in. Yeah, you were going to give it everything. And I went all in, and unfortunately the system didn't allow me to go all in, Mm. and I'm going to be talking about that in future yeah, we can we can talk about that. We'll do another podcast down the track, and yeah. I, think, I think there's an interesting story in that in itself. Yeah. And so I wasn't allowed to go all in to try, you know, against all the odds to bring him back, and, mm. and which goes against your DNA because that's what you've done your entire life is go all in yeah. on everything against what people have yeah. told you. Yes, and and I wasn't because I legally wasn't able, and I physically couldn't. I was stopped, yeah. so I I couldn't influence that situation and that's a regret that I'll have to live with for the rest of my life and yet I know it's not my fault Mm. but it is pretty uh, sad and so you know we need to encourage people we need to go in with a fighting attitude you don't as a boxer you don't go into the ring thinking I'm going to get my ass smashed today no and if you do you're definitely going to (laughs) you are definitely going to if you can't override that then that's going to happen yeah there same no same in business, same in anything. If you if you thinking about launching a business and you're thinking about failure, you you're already just bringing yeah. Don't start. <laughs> yeah, don't start. You know, like, but I, I just I just feel like it's it's simple and it's common sense, but common sense isn't common practice. And you know, I mean, there's lots that people can take away from this podcast already, particularly on the mental toughness and your journey. But far out, if we just get behind each other a bit more, particularly during yes. tough times, we can have a huge impact. Yeah, especially like right now, what the country's facing, we need yeah. positivity. Totally. Yeah, 
So, uh, you know, oh, it's been an amazing conversation today, Jamie. I've been to go. My mum's yeah, ringing. I was just about to say, I know that you've, um, <laughs> you've got to shoot away and I want to be respectful of your time because you've given plenty of it up. Um, but I do just want to thank you. I, like I say, I've followed your journey for a long time. Um, I really admire everything that you've achieved in your life, but I, I just admire the loyalty and the, ten, like the tenacity that you have to stand up and look after your family as well. Um, oh, because you that's, that's, that's come through a lot. Um, Obviously, you've just written a book about it as well, The Journey with Your Mum, which people um, can check out. It's called, uh, is it Relentless? Relentless, that book? Relentless. Yeah. yep. Relentless. Um, it's in the bookshops and online at the moment. So, yeah. yeah, so you've got a few books there, but Relentless is particularly built and written around The Journey with Your Mother, and I think that's uh, incredibly valuable. Um, but I just I just really admire your drive and your tenacity and your, your willingness to get out there and share it and stand up for what you believe in as well. And I really, really appreciate you giving up your time to share your insights with me on the podcast. I know that the last couple of months have been really difficult on a personal level uh, with the passing of your father, but you were straight back on and giving up your time. And I, I really appreciate it. Oh, Jamie, you're, you're epic. And, you know, I hope we remain friends and, and I'll get you on my show as well because I just love people with the same attitude. I love hanging with people because, gosh, there's a lot of negativity out there. So we need more people like you bringing positive messages, creating good content, creating value for your, for your people that you coach. Um, and just, you know, you've energized me today. So thank you very much for doing that. Oh, and yeah, if, if anyone wants to reach out to me, please do just um, hop on my website, lisatarmity.com. Yep. Um, my books and everything are on there, my courses, my epigenetics programs, my health programs and stuff. Um, and, and yeah, reach out to me there. That would be best. Or on Facebook or Instagram and all that sort of good stuff. Yeah, you're, you're easy to find. You're all over the internet. You've also <laughs> got your own podcast with some really expert guests on there. Like you're doing a whole yeah, bunch of fantastic stuff. So yeah. keep, up, keep up the fantastic work. Thank you so much for your time and I'll let you uh, get on with the rest of your day. But I really appreciate it. Go and train mum. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, thank you, Lisa. <laughs> Thanks, Jamie. So there you have it, guys. That was the interview of Lisa Tumity. What an incredible woman she is. It's crazy to think how far she's pushed herself physically, mentally, emotionally. Like she said, not always uh, you know, a good thing, but she's someone who really has found her limits and been able to tap her potential, and I find that incredibly inspiring. Uh, highly recommend that you check out her books and her content, her own podcast as well. It's lisatumity.com. Uh, she's always producing content. She's got some really high-level guests on her podcast, uh, and obviously her books are there as well. Uh, so go and check her out. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share this one out. I really think that given the current circumstances, mental toughness uh, and resilience are topics that everyone sort of needs to be listening in and learning about. Um, so if you know someone who would benefit from it, please share that out. And as always, if you're enjoying the podcast, please give a rating and a review on whatever platform you listen in on as that helps us reach new ears uh, and grow the podcast. And we're starting to get some real momentum now. So looking forward to bringing you some more guests over the coming weeks. Appreciate you tuning in and giving me your attention. I hope you got value from that episode uh, and we'll see you in the next one.